welcome to Conspiracy Theories Football. I'm your host, Josh McDaniel. Since 1988, I've been an avid football fan. Since my mother married my stepfather, every Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and sometimes Thursdays were set aside for watching football. Very fond memories of my childhood. I also know a little bit about the history of the game of football. Another thing I enjoy are conspiracy theories. They fascinate me. Even if I don't necessarily believe what it's getting at, it's still fascinating to hear the stories of why people feel like certain things happened the way they did. And believe it or not, there are many conspiracy theories tied to football. And so I thought it would be great to have a podcast dealing with conspiracy theories and football. So we're going to go into those conspiracy theories, and we're going to look at it from two different viewpoints. The viewpoint of the conspiracy theorist, and also the viewpoint of the purist. That the original story was the real story, the only story, end of story. And that all the things that happen in games, good calls, bad calls, good plays, bad plays, are all just part of the human element. So saddle up, get ready, our podcast is starting now. Chad here is an Oakland, L.A., Las Vegas Raiders fan and has been for a very long time. I've always been a Houston Oilers fan. But to give me a little leg up on the deal of to figure out what's a conspiracy theory and isn't, I decided to make our first conspiracy theory podcast on the Raiders. And the Raiders are one of the teams that are believed to have been the most affected by bad calls, bad plays, and rigged football games. So let's get into it and let's start our podcast. Giddy up. So Chad, what is your exact thoughts on how you think some of these bad plays in football come about? Oh, well, I definitely think that some of the I think the refs in the NFL definitely favor certain teams over others. But I, but like you said before, I don't think that they actually follow some script. And I also do think that Vegas may have a hand sometimes in certain games if, if they stand to make some money off the game. Okay, I totally understand that. And for me, I'm kind of in the same boat, except I believe that the coaches are in on this as well, that even the coaches are hired by the NFL and they can call games in such a way that causes their teams to win or lose. And as I've looked into conspiracy theories, that seems to be the way because many players suspect that games have been rigged, fixed, or thrown And those players themselves coming out just kind of proves the fact that the players may not be in on this conspiracy. So we're going to start off talking about the Raiders. And some of the times that the Raiders have been done in by bad calls or plays or games. And the first one we want to talk about is the Immaculate Reception. How do you remember the Immaculate Reception? Well, um, I didn't see the game live. I'm not that old. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But but I, I have seen it several times, and I've heard all the stories about it. And, uh, you know, according to, to the rule then, you know, when two players come together and touch the ball at the same time and nobody catches it, it's supposed to be an incomplete pass or a dead ball. And so I've seen the play several times, 
And I, I know that I don't think Al Davis was suing the, the, the NFL yet at that time, but I, I, I know the NFL has always had a thing out for Al Davis because of previous history. So, you know, calls like that, like the Macklin reception, do make you wonder. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly. And the thing I learned about Al Davis before this point, before that early Super Bowl, I found out it's a very interesting NFL history that was really cool about Al Davis is at one time he was the commissioner of the AFL. And in the AFL, he had come up with some ways to make the AFL a better league than the NFL. And in my mind, Al Davis had figured out a way to really put a dent in the NFL. Because from what I've read and the things that I've seen, he actually gained NBC contract for the first color games and things to be for the AFL. Mm-hmm. and that they were going to have these games live. And because of that, he was able to offer the players more money and at one point was even offering NFL players more money than the NFL was offering. So I think this caused bad blood between Al Davis and the NFL, and I believe that's why many people think that the NFL has been targeting the Raiders ever since. Yeah, well, that was the first instance where it caught, he, he caused some bad blood with the NFL. The second instance was in the early 80s when he wanted to move his team to L.A. The NFL actually told him they voted no against the move, and he moved the team anyway. (laughs) And I heard that the NFL actually lost that case. Yes, they did, yeah. And so he got to keep on and move his team, and so that Uh definitely caused bad blood. And you were telling me something about something that happened in 1983 with John Elway. Can you explain that? Because I actually didn't know about that. So if you watch the the ESPN, I think it was the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary about the, the, because this documentary was, it was talking about how good the, the quarterbacks were from that draft, how it was probably the best NFL draft in history because of the talent that was drafted in that draft. But what, as a Raiders fan, when I was watching it, and they were talking about the Raiders' possible trade during that that got shut down by the NFL, I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> because it, it it just sort of slipped through the cracks, that little uh, bit of information. So what happened was, uh, Elway, you know, while he was still in college, knew the Colts were going to have the first pick. And he did not want to be drafted by the Colts because at that time the Colts were a really bad team. He didn't want to go to a bad team. So he made it known publicly that if he got drafted by the Colts that instead he would go play baseball. So the Colts during the draft were trying to trade their first round, their first pick and from uh, interviews from uh, guys who were on both sides of this trade in, in the what they call the war rooms during the draft the Raiders, the Bears, and the Colts had a three-way trade worked out where the Raiders would end up with the first pick, uh, the the Bears would get something from the Raiders, and the Colts would get something from the Bears. And so the Raiders would get John Elway because that's what they wanted. Because uh, uh, despite how he was in the past eight, nine years of his life, early Al Davis was a really good talent evaluator. He, he was amazing at it. So he wanted John Elway. And he had the he had the trade worked out, and I think it was the person from the Bears uh, war room that they were interviewing said they got a call from Paul uh, Paul Tagleblue, who was the commissioner at that time for the NFL, saying no, you cannot do this trade. And so the trade fell through, 
And now we don't know why that happened, but people say it's because the NFL didn't like Al Davis because of, of him moving the team to L.A., and so they didn't want him getting the player he wanted in the draft. Yeah, so that's the first time I'd ever heard of that, and that's yeah. really cool. I, that yeah. Because I believe, and I think you know too, that if John Elway had played with those Raiders, I oh, think yeah. they would have won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, and another interesting point from that draft is they also said that because also in that draft, Dan Marino dropped farther than he was projected to be drafted, like a 20th, 22nd pick, because there had been a false rumor about Dan Marino spread before the draft that uh, he had a cocaine problem, but it turned out not to be true. So he slipped in the draft, and, the, and he slipped past the Raiders Draft it, and the guy, the the people from the Raiders war room said that if Al Davis had not been so busy with the lawsuit against the NFL and had been doing his usual scouting that he did every year, there's no way he would have passed on Dan Marino in the draft either. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who passed that rumor. Was it the Dolphins that passed the rumor I, about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's funny. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so. Anyway, there is a history of bad blood between the NFL and Al Davis. Now, obviously, the 83 was a post deal as opposed to the time of the Immaculate Reception. Mm -hmm. Now, this would have happened around 1972, and there's some interesting points around this game as to why people think that maybe the Steelers won this game. Now, one of the theories that I'd heard is that the Raiders were very good against the Dolphins. At that time, their mm-hmm. record against the Dolphins was 7-1-1. and one. Yep. Now, if you want to know the end, spoiler alert, the Dolphins win that Super Bowl. The Steelers did not go on to win that Super Bowl. It was the Dolphins. But the Dolphins happened to go undefeated that year, something that never has happened since then. So it was a great storyline for the NFL. Mm-hmm. So some people think that Maybe the bias against the Raiders might have had something also to do with the fact they wanted the Dolphins to win and the Raiders might have been a turd in their punch bowl, we'll say. Maybe. But anyway, let's go in to the Immaculate Reception because like you and everyone else, we've seen this play. And it's very famous because even the NFL ranks it as one of the greatest plays in NFL history. But at the time... Here's the rule as I know it. The rule was that if an offensive player touched the ball, then no other offensive player could catch the ball. Kind of like they couldn't tip it to the other player or something like that, but they couldn't do that. But if the offensive player touched the ball and then subsequently a defensive player touched the ball, now, once again, it's a live ball. And the offensive player can now touch it. Mm -hmm. But the Immaculate Reception has caused much controversy throughout history. Many people, and especially Raider fans, feel like it was an illegitimate reception. And there's so many parts to that. Because first of all, did Franco Harris catch it before it touched the ground? Did John Frenchie Fuqua touch the ball and tip it and actually cause it to be, or did the Raiders' corner cause that ball to get knocked into the hand of Franco Harris? And was there a clipping penalty that should have been called on that play? Yeah. So there's all kinds of different ones to that. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm going to ask you what you saw in that play because we both watched the replay and what did you exactly see? Uh, it's because it, uh, the footage is also so old; it's hard to see. So it's like I I don't know. It, it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, based on other plays I've seen called against the Raiders since then, though, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, <laughs> you know, if if it if it went against them unfairly which it happens so often <laughs> yeah exactly so but yeah from the footage i've seen of the play it, it is hard to tell so I, I i don't even know if if they had replay back then if they would overturn it or not right right exactly and that's what i think in today's nfl if that play because originally they called it as a touchdown just mm-hmm. to basically be on the safe side i believe and then they came back and they deliberated and decided, yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a call made to the booth, and that call uh, evidently was made, and it went up to basically the Steelers, and they basically told them, hey, you know, leave it the way it is. You got it right. Mm-hmm. But there are many ideas of what that call really was because some people say that call went up, and the call was just to ask if they had enough uh, security to get out of the place alive if they left the thing down as a catch. Mm-hmm. Now, as to whether that's true or not, we don't know. But the official report is that, no, the call just went up and they said, no, you got it right, call yeah. the play the way it is. Yeah, I don't know if that would make sense because I think that game was in Pittsburgh. No, I think you're right. It was the Steelers yeah. because they were afraid that if they reversed the call, yeah, yeah, yeah. That they would have a hard time yeah, going in. I, I'm pretty sure that game was on turf, and Pittsburgh had turf back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right. Yeah. That's that's what it was. I was trying to remember. Yeah. So it was very interesting that how they thought that was going to go down, and that's why when they called up the booth, they would have got a Steelers representative as well. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that makes total sense. But it was so interesting the different ideas that came in to what that call was and why it was that they continued to call it the way it did. But I think in today's NFL, if they went back, I don't know that they'd have enough uh, evidence to overturn the call because, like you say, it happened so fast because Fuqua dove for the ball and the Raiders player hit at the same time. But the ball went back so far that it had to be from the momentum of the Raiders player. Yeah. You know, is what it looked like possibly to me. Yeah. But it's interesting that, you know, all of these things happen so quickly together. And John Fuqua went to Art Modell and asked him what he should do, if he should tell the media what happened down there. And Art Modell basically told him, yeah, don't even worry about it. You know, they don't have to know. Mm-hmm. And he, Fuqua, went down to say that he would go to his grave not telling what really happened in that game and what happened in that play, which leads me to believe that maybe, just maybe, he might know that it was an illegitimate catch. But yeah. that's just from the conspiracy theory side of me. Yeah. So, yeah, that was very interesting. I found that to be uh, quite fascinating, the whole story that went behind the Immaculate Reception. So... If we were to rank, or we'll say rate, that particular conspiracy, do you think, in order for the conspiracy to be real, it had to be like, it wasn't, it was absolutely called wrong, 
and the NFL must have had some sort of deal to make it to where the Steelers went on to advance and the Raiders lost that game. How would you rank the conspiracy? From like a one to ten? Exactly. Uh, ten being full-blown conspiracy? Yeah. Uh, I give it about a six to a seven. I don't know about that one. Because it, it was a close call. Yeah. So, I, I would give that one up. Six and a half. And unfortunately, I'm kind of with you on that because yeah. when I watch the play, I can see how a ref might see it differently or maybe yeah. even a ref get caught up in it. Yeah. The Raiders themselves for years have had an issue with that play call. You know, yeah. the uh, the idea that it was a catch. And it's yeah. obviously got to be hard for a Raiders fan oh, yeah. that lived in that time <laughs> to watch that play Played over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. It's it's funny because uh, they say the Raiders have the most, uh, they've played in the most games with names. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, and that hurts because usually they're on the raw end yeah. of that deal. Yeah, there are some where they're on the good side of it, like the Holy Roller. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, that was a good one. That, that that, that's a, a hilarious play. You know, that play is one where they actually had to change the rule because of that. <laughs> Do you know about that one? Uh-uh, no. Okay, this was this was back when they still had John Madden as a coach, and I think it was the AFC Championship game with the Chargers. And the Raiders had like a fourth down and goal, like 30 seconds to go to win the, the ball game. And no, it wasn't the AFC Championship, it was just the playoffs. I think I think they another year where they lost the Steelers in the AFC Championship. So they played the Chargers the week before, and they call this the Holy Roller because Kenny Stabler, the quarterback, on fourth down was going back to throw from like the twelve yard line to try to get a touchdown, and he gets sacked and fumbles the ball. And what he you can see it clearly in the replay as he's falling, he. Push, he pushes the ball forward into the end zone, <laughs> and and there's a scramble for the ball, and the and uh and then one of the Raiders players, as he's pretending to scramble for the ball, kicks it forward, and so kicks it into the end zone, and and uh the Raiders recover in the end zone for a touchdown, and win the ball game. Oh, that's great. And yeah, and so the, uh after that game, they changed the rule where inside the twenty on a fumble, you can't advance the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny, after all these bad plays that you hear about, they change rules. Uh-huh. And one of the other things I'm going to mention, just because it's going to come to play later if our podcast continues on, yeah. uh, because of the we're going to go into the Patriots at some point, and that's going to be oh, absolutely yeah. marvelous. But <laughs> one thing that's interesting about the Immaculate Reception is at the time, the Pittsburgh Steelers were like the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They were not a good team. Yep. This was a playoff appearance that was long overdue mm-hmm. for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were not a good team up to that point. But yet, after this play, it took a couple of years, but the Steelers' dynasty began. Yeah. And after that, the Steelers r- r- just rattled off four Super Bowls that they won and become, you know, one of the best teams. Uh-huh. Uh, dynasties at the time. They were the first dynasty, we'll say, because they won four Super Bowls before anyone else did. It's interesting you bring that up because that that would be only the first of a couple times that a bad call against the Raiders 
started a, another team's dynasty. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's going to be our, our very next one that we bring up and we start into because one of the ones that makes me the most angry, the most angry I've ever been watching a football game, and not even being a, a fan of one team or the other, mm-hmm. had to do with the Raiders. Yeah. And we're definitely going to have to get into that. This podcast about the Immaculate Reception, we're going to go ahead and cut off here, and we're going to do something fun that we decided to do before the show, just because if you believe that there are conspiracy theories out there, it would be nice if you could prove it. And in order to prove it, you would have to like prove something from the past, which there's usually no way to do. We're actually going to go and make predictions based on our ideas of football. Now, this is Saturday, August 27th. And I'm sure the podcast won't actually go in until a later date. But me and Chad are going to make predictions about this Sunday's football games. Now, we're going to make one strong prediction about what we think is going to happen and see what our our record is going to be. I'm going at it like sports are rigged. And he's going at it with his football knowledge to tell you who's going to win a game. So my biggest prediction is going to be the Denver Broncos-Seattle Seahawks game. Now, according to many conspiracy theorists, when 80% of the money goes in one direction, usually the team with the less money bet on it is going to win that game. The 80% usually, to a lot of conspiracy theories, is that cutoff line. So, in the game, the Broncos and the Seahawks. The Broncos are actually a six-point favorite in that game. And 90% of the money is going toward the Broncos winning by more than six points. So, my bold prediction is that ain't going to happen. I think that the Seahawks will cover the spread. So I'm taking Seattle plus six points. Now, my boldest prediction about that is I actually think Seattle is even going to win that game because 98% of the money is going on the money line. And so I think that Seattle might even win that game. Now, what were your thoughts about, was there a game that you picked out that you think you know Who's going to win? Um, since I'm the Raiders fan on this episode, I'm just going to go with the... Uh, even though the Chargers are favored, I think they've been overrated this whole uh, offseason. And I think the Raiders have made... Because the Raiders are the team that made the playoffs last year and the Chargers aren't. And they both have made improvements that are about the same. So I'm going to say the Raiders are still better than the Chargers, I think, and I think they're going to win against the Chargers in Week 1. I think that's a very good call. I think uh, everybody's jumped on this Chargers bandwagon. Even at my work, I've heard so many people say the Chargers are going to be the team to beat, you know, that they could make it to the Super Bowl. And I honestly don't think they're going to win their division. Uh, To me, you know, I actually don't think Denver's even going to be that great. I think they might finish last in that division. So did you want to make a prediction on the Super Bowl? On the Super Bowl. Uh, that's hard because the AFC is so wide open this year. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. 
I'll I'll say let's go Raiders and Rams. <laughs> Raiders and Rams. Yeah. Okay. And you were saying something about home teams making it to the Super Bowl. Right. Yeah. Here lately, and this year it's in Arizona. Right. So I find that that fascinating. So you know, could it be this year? Which I do not see that happening. Yeah. Arizona could make the Super Bowl, but then again, you know, it would work out good for Vegas if Arizona did make it. Obviously, because yeah. I'm sure a lot of people aren't making that bet. Yeah. Uh huh. But I'm going to make the prediction that Tom Brady goes to the Super Bowl just because the NFL loves him so much. But. I'm with you on your division. I don't think the Chargers are as good as people think. I don't think Denver's as good as people think. So I think it's going to come down to Kansas City and the Raiders winning that division. And I'm going to call it Kansas City in that division. And I am a huge Houston Oilers fan from the past. And I live toward Nashville. And so I've been a Tennessee Titan fan forever. And I'm not going with... Anything other than heart so much on this and a little bit of conspiracy theory because nobody's betting on the Titans. So I think the Titans might make the Super Bowl as well. And that's my bold pick for that, which is going to be very interesting at the end of the season (laughs) to see how our our picks turn out. Uh Now, as another disclaimer, please do not go out and bet on... Chad and my predictions. Not a good idea. We are not gamblers. We don't gamble. We have not put any money where our mouth is on this. This is just us talking and coming up with ideas for conspiracy theories. So we don't want to get any messages saying that, hey, you guys lost me money. Don't make the bet and we won't lose you any money. So thank you very much, everybody, for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed putting it out there. And we're going to cut it off this time, and then we're going to talk about the tuck rule on the next episode. Thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your week.